Welcome to Episode 9 of Initial Legal Offering. More inappropriate than your average political ad, more market manipulation than Elon Musk's tweets, it's Initial Legal Offering, the latest in crypto news and regulation. This week on the pod, a consolidated class action complaint aims to show BitConnect who's boss. The SEC decides that fighting us is harder than joining us and sets up an ICO division, and Coinbase gets approval for a crypto custody service in New York. Finally, we'll take an in-depth look at SIA, the decentralized storage solution looking to take on giants like AWS. Joining us this week as we record from deep inside the Amazon rainforest, let's welcome cryptocurrency's most well-dressed and well-manicured panel. Like your nails, they look great, Jared. Yeah, thanks. Been working hard. Sparkly. Yeah. <laughs> look, it is cryptocurrency, and this is a podcast. I'm going to dress how I want to dress. That's right. Get my nails did how I want to get my nails did. <laughs> Never seen such vibrant colors on you before. Yeah, I'm uh, just looking fabulous. Suits you. Yeah, thank you. You guys doing okay this week? Yeah, pretty good. We're here. How about you, Laura Beth? Doing well? Yes, I have on all black today. I did forget my hat and broom, though. <laughs> I was expecting sackcloth and ashes in a classic biblical fashion. Um, I've tried to make that joke once before on this podcast, and no one likes uh, my biblical references. But um, look, We heathens. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> this is cryptocurrency as well. Uh, libertarian and heathen. It's kind of our wheelhouse. Uh, super excited about this week. I think we've got some exciting things to discuss. Particularly excited about some of the news articles. But let's uh, let's pivot. My favorite thing to say uh, on the podcast is it's time for the news. All right, so I'm up first. Uh, we have a article here about BitConnect. BitConnect, the coin that will never die. They have been sued by multiple people multiple times. Everybody, um, yeah, pretty everybody much everybody. Getting in on that. <laughs> uh, I think we're the only people that have not been sued in this yet. <laughs> There's been there's been about five or six lawsuits out there, uh, and those have now been consolidated into one class action, so a united front against Bitcoin or sorry BitConnect. Yeah, the law firm handling this is Silver Miller, not to be confused with Blue Mountains. That is the ice cold Coors Light. <laughs> oh my God! Jeez. Look, this has been said in the Southern <laughs> District of Florida. I felt like that was appropriate, so I'll let it pass. Yeah. This is Southern <laughs> District of Florida, uh, where anything goes, so long as you have a Coors Light in your hand. <laughs> yeah. So just to uh, give a little bit of background on this, uh, BitConnect has been effectively shut down uh, since about January of this year. They were widely viewed, and rightly so, as a Ponzi scheme uh, from the beginning. So uh, in January, what happened was that Texas and North Carolina, their securities divisions, uh, issued cease and desist orders against BitConnect. I think it's a good opportunity for give a shout-out to Elaine Marshall for jumping on that bandwagon. What's up, Elaine? Uh, hardcore mover and shaker knows what's yeah. up. She, <laughs> she really play. does. She doesn't yeah, play. No, she's I'll legit. take your word for it. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, she's not up for re-election this, this year, I don't I believe. I don't think so. I think that was um, 2016. But yeah, anyway, so she'll be 2020. Yeah, but she yeah, she is she's legit. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's cool. not a political endorsement. Yeah. No. Yeah, so uh, right after that happened, BitConnect crashed from a high of they were over four hundred dollars there, uh, went down to fifteen to twenty, and just been 
keep going down ever since then. Um, I was not aware before reading this story that they were actually still trading on Trade Satoshi up to last month. Wow. Uh, you could still pick up some BitConnect. So uh, it was under a dollar at that point, but it has finally been shut down now and it's no longer available. Well, what is impressive to me is the number of companies that were formed under the BitConnect name. You know, you've got BitConnect Public Limited, BitConnect International PLC, BitConnect Limited, BitConnect Trading Limited, and about 40 others involved in this, um, we can say scam now, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Alleged <laughs> scam. Let's just uh, act conservatively. But uh, what's interesting is that they've also named a ton of individuals and promoters who were participating in the creation of content Shout out to our boy Carlos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carlos um, and like uh, Trayvon James, who are just legitimately going. We're going on on YouTube and producing massive amounts of content and affiliate marketing. I think something like seventy thousand hours of content was uploaded to YouTube and promotion of BitConnect. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is an interesting part here. I mean, what what do you think about the promoter side of this? Like. YouTube was just, you know, hosting what they thought were videos, informational videos. They didn't necessarily know that they were shilling yes. these bags. Like, so let's mention that YouTube has now been named in this lawsuit as well as an additional defendant. So they are getting getting the brunt of this anger as well. And that's a question of liability and one you guys are more well equipped to handle than me. But I don't accuse us of knowing <laughs> anything, sir. Um, no, I think there's um, some significant issues to be aware of. I think it's a smart move from a litigation perspective to name YouTube, to let people know what the big picture plan is here that YouTube um, in some world and some perceived argument may have some responsibility where people are uploading 70,000 hours mm -hmm. of content to YouTube promoting what is clearly a scam. Um, allegedly. Uh, clearly, <laughs> allegedly a scam. <laughs> and uh, look, I don't even know that I want to say allegedly to this because it you is. Up that no, we, I'm comfortable that this is a scam. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna put. I'm just gonna put my money where my mouth is. This is a pure and simple scam. It existed to deprive people of their money as and separate people from their money as quickly as possible. But seventy thousand hours of content. Ain't nothing worth 70,000 hours of content on YouTube, unless it's the autonomous sensory <laughs> meridian uh, response videos that everyone's into these days. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, YouTube gets like probably a billion hours of content uploaded every day. So this is probably a fairly small piece. But yeah, it is a lot of content and they probably should have known about this ahead of time and maybe taken some actions to to moderate this stuff. Yeah, it raises some interesting concerns in that if the content of those videos was in some way could be viewed as a sell of securities under the you know under the United States securities laws, I mean, there is potential there as a promoter. So I mean it's it's good that they did name them as a defendant. As to whether it'll stick or not, that is yet to be seen. I, th I think that there's a lot of other this is real squishy area, wouldn't you say, Laura Beth? I would I would agree. Yeah. And I think that uh we're seeing these types of issues in other sort of arenas where Congress is talking to to Mark Zuckerberg. And yeah, this has actually been in the news a lot recently. People uh, in Congress trying to chip away actually at 
YouTube's defense would be Section 230, I think, of the Communications Decency Act, um, which basically says if you have an open platform on the Internet, then you're not liable for what users post on it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a double side to that as well, is where you do start regulating and, and moderating who's putting what on there, it could create some mitigation of, of that proposed <laughs> immunity. Yes, I, I agree with that. Not First Amendment, though, because it's a private platform. It's not a government yeah. censorship. Yeah. Well, so, and the, what's crazy about the Communications Decency Act is it's from 1996. Yeah. Like this isn't contemplating the modern 2018 robo world of, you know, Facebook yes. and all them Twitters <laughs> that are out there. Yes. You've got Instagram. You've got the Twittergrams. You've got every other gram and tweets of, of the world that are literally shilling and fudding crypto like it's nobody's business 1996 was all about age sex location that's it yeah your mama let you date brb yep that's hilarious look i think this is a podcast so this may not work well but um you know if you haven't said asl um you weren't really on the internet Raise your hand if you're guilty of doing this. Um, that's everybody. Okay, so um, what's uh, what's the one-two skidoo on this um, on this article? We did it. It's skidun. It's skidun. <laughs> it's um, we rarely need to make this more ubiquitous <laughs> saying because it's, uh, it's it's gaining traction in the crypto com- community. It's I've my, been posting it's it my standing joke. I'm sorry. I think takeaway is that YouTube has the money and the lawyers to fight this and probably get themselves removed from this. Yeah, I think the the number of people that have been named in this lawsuit as well, there are definitely some people like Crypto Clover, I think it's Kalen Powell and Nicholas Travato, Crypto Nick, who should legitimately be nervous right now. What they were doing to promote BitConnect and deceive people and lure them into doing this is a security violation, but more importantly, it was misrepresentation and and fraud. I feel comfortable saying that with no alleged in front of it. And at the same time, you know, the, the people that are at the core of BitConnect have made a tremendous amount of money. They should be responsible of uh, for repaying people that have that have suffered losses because of this deceit. Mm-hmm. Even if I think even if YouTube gets out of it, there may be some larger implications yeah. in terms of congressional oversight, regulations. Maybe a subpoena to come testify before Congress about yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, who's the Who's the head of YouTube right now? YouTube's owned by Google, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Well, Alphabet. Alphabet. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, Mr. Google himself. <laughs> that's exactly Frank right. Google. Uh, I'm not actually <laughs> sure on. who's at the Franklin head of Google, madam. <laughs> Don't be so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not sure who the head of YouTube is right now. Who's yeah. next? So no no like I was really excited about the next thing I had to say about this but uh, I think you're probably right so let's uh, let's move on to the next piece of news which I think is even more exciting than what's going on at BitConnect I mean the SEC has decided that they can't beat us so they're going to join us they have decided to set up a new division to talk about ICO startups um, this new division is called FinHub. And um, they are envisioning FinHub to be the source of information for entrepreneurs, developers, and investors to seek questions and clarification on regulation from, from the SEC. I think they're looking to try to get ahead of what's going on in the community 
by providing information to investors, hopefully to avoid another BitConnect situation, not to bring this full circle, but um, trying to tie it together for everyone. Um, but at the same time, they're trying to keep up desperately. Crypto is moving. It doesn't seem like it's moving rapidly, but regulation is so slow and crypto is happening at the speed of, of light, literally. So I think they're trying to do this to to move towards developing an opportunity for investors and developers to look at how they com- comply with the law as opposed to creating a project and then looking at compliance and regulation on the back end. Yeah, mm-hmm. this this seems really proactive from the SEC and I'm going to have to I'm going to step on a limb here and say it's because of all the work they had to do last year with all the the yeah, ICOs. That, probably right. I mean you had a new ICO almost every other day last year it feels like. So instead of having this completely reactive kind of set of policies and how they dealt with ICOs, they have come up with this to where the people that are start trying to start these, have these startups, are going to communicate with them on the front end, and that way they can go ahead and make sure that they're doing everything correctly. So it's, it's going to, I think in the end, the, the attempt here is to reduce the workload on the SEC so that they make sure that when people do start these companies, they are in compliance already, or at least they know what they need to do to comply. Or have found out that they could never comply and have abandoned that model or that structure of the project. Yeah. Part yeah. of this is seeking input and testing ideas with the SEC staff so that entrepreneurs and developers and advisors can get clear guidance before they make a misstep. Uh, you know, the SEC does not have unlimited resources to prosecute everybody. And so their goal, is hopefully, I'd imagine their goal is to bring as many people to the table as possible with something that is regulated and is in compliance with that regulation. Yeah, I think I think the same thing. There's a, there's a lot of good things in, that come out of this, not just, you know, reducing the SEC's workload, but I think they're starting to see, I mean, when we started this podcast nine weeks ago, there's a lot of different talk about the SEC and how they were going to go on things and you know they've yet to actually approve a BT uh, a, um, ETF for Bitcoin but with all this other stuff they have going on that has got to be forthcoming I mean you're, we're seeing them start to adapt to accept this new digital asset as a you know a viable unit for for investment a, a future investment vehicle so and their website's full of, of helpful information already and uh, that's sec.gov forward slash finhub f-i-n-h-u-b uh, a lot of um, sections about regulation, registration, related matters, about the ICO that the SEC created called the Howie Coin, which I thought was pretty humorous, and just a ton of information for investors to get uh, press releases and bulletins on what exactly the SEC thinks about this technology. I think that the SEC really nailed it with the name. FinHub. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. No, it's fantastic. No, I, no, I really do. I think it's, I think it's a, a great resource, and will, like Ben said, probably reduce the amount of work that the um, SEC is is having to do. If they lay out these requirements for people, it makes it a lot easier, you know, for people to see what they need to do to be compliant and hopefully avoid all the. The, the chasing that they're having to do now. Yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't really, these aren't really regulations unto themselves. It's a, a it's division guidance. for people to talk to and guidance. Why not just release clear regulations and True. let people figure it out? Like, is this a first step towards that? Are they just trying Absolutely. to get more information yeah. about the field and more input from I, more I people? Th- I think they're looking for clear ideas on where crypto is going. I think that this is the SEC and most regulation is reactive. Very few times in in what what legislatures do, 
is they act proactively. In most situations, they are creating legislation to keep up with moving technologies. I don't imagine that that 1996, the Communications Decency Act was created before the internet was created. They had to create that after they started having issues and started seeing that there were issues in the law and giving very clear, discernible um, regulation to people that were participating on the internet. Yeah, I think it's a we're good, seeing this is the first step in that direction. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good step in that it's involving the innovators and the people in the space first as well. Like I think Japan just moved over and said, "Look, we're going to just say cryptocurrency. You guys regulate yourselves." So, you know, because it's it is such a new and, and emerging technology, I think that's one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that although you know it's been happening for years now, they still have a lot a lot to cover. And and in these instances, it's not, it may not just be legislative stuff getting passed. Usually, they they'll they'll hand some of that rulemaking power over to the actual agency, and then they'll take public comment on things like that. So having this fin hub to kind of host all this stuff, it's going to be good for the crypto space as a whole. I think. Fintech Forum next year, focusing on digital assets. We'll see you there. Visit our booth, guys. Yeah, we're going to be there come, for sure. Come spin our wheel. We'll have crazy Larry <laughs> in the prizes. booth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I think that about covers it for uh, this SEC article. Who's handling the Coinbase crypto okay. custody service? All right, so I've got that. So this is breaking news. just came out a day or two ago is that Coinbase has been approved to offer crypto custody services in New York. Essentially, they're... Their um, license to create the Coinbase Custody Trust Company was approved. So it allows them to offer custody services for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and um, XRP or Ripple. So I think this is a good move. I mean, New York is the first, the, they're at the forefront. They also have the most kind of strict crypto regulations. They have the Bit License stuff, which has been in effect for, for a couple of years now. So they've been approved for custody services. That would be like holding large amounts of crypto for other businesses, right? Yeah, that's true. So what what this approval essentially means for them is that they get to act as a fiduciary, which means they are subject to... Say that again? What, what is that? Fiduciary. I'm not quite familiar with that. F- fiduciary? <laughs> I've heard of both ways. Um as lawyers, we like that term. Yeah, um, a lot. Lawyers love the word fiduciary. It, it places a lot of uh, responsibility on them, and then also a lot of accountability and liability um, as to the... It creates a duty of trust and confidence yeah. in uh, in the party that you're holding it for. I mean, this is a, effectively a bailment with a fiduciary wrapped into what you're holding for a third party. Essentially, yes. So, like, if Coinbase got hacked and lost some of these funds, they're obviously responsible for it. They can't make any risky bets with it. Can they do anything with it or just hold it and make sure it's secure? Yeah, so a good example of this is uh, of a fiduciary is uh, having a financial planner, a particular kind of financial planner. A lot of financial planners are not fiduciaries. But let's say you had a uh, – let me, let me give you a simpler answer. Let's say you had a lawyer and you hired that lawyer to do something for you. The lawyer would take steps on your behalf but with your best interest at heart, acting in, in the light that's most favorable to you for your best interest uh, with trust and confidence. They may hold a close relationship to a person that would create a fiduciary relationship. Um, There's a lot of case law as it relates to fiduciaries. And we've litigated a fair number of cases involving this, some very large currently pending as well uh, in North Carolina. But what's super interesting for us right now is um, that 
what they're trying to do here, in my opinion, is give these large institutional investors an opportunity to feel confident having their crypto held by Coinbase. Well, and you got to assume as well that this LLC that they formed, this trust company, has got insurance. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So that, that places a little bit less of the the volatility that we see in the markets. I mean, just then a lot, a lot of people in the space don't even like it mitigates it, risks to a certain degree. Exactly. Right? And it helped it helps the public at large kind of get involved in crypto as well yeah. because it's not it's not so hard now. So you can have I think understand. we we all agree that New York is uh one of the leaders in in crypto uh regulation. Absolutely in, in terms of the states. And, and bad so, regulation as well. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with other states as these People start putting their money in these custody services if other states jump on board, if it's a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. So I think this it's worth mentioning that this uh, Coinbase Custody Trust Company LLC is probably not for the mom and pop holders out there. This is probably for institutional investors holding billions, hundreds of millions, or many, many millions of dollars of these five cryptos. But this permission and license comes on the back of Coinbase already holding a Money Transmitter Act license uh, in New York and a virtual currency, uh, what's commonly known as a bit license granted by New York. This is a pretty big deal for the New York State Department of Financial Services to, to give this out because Coinbase is going to start holding a lot of crypto. They're going to know when these large institutional investors will take custody back from them. And monitor where that's going to be going it's going to give them a little bit of inside knowledge as to what's going to be happening and moving and shaking in the in the market and i'm sure that there would be other aspects as it relates to helping them trade or make deals otc beyond just holding this but it does create a really interesting legal question of bailments you know giving someone else to hold your crypto gives them a lot of control but at the same time I think it's the next big move for institutional investors to come in and bring fiat in exchange for crypto so they can feel comfortable with someone who's terribly sophisticated managing these keys and these seeds for them. Do we want to read into at all why they chose to apply for Ripple as well? I saw that and I was hoping we wouldn't get into it, but I was fully (laughs) expecting they're going to list Ripple. Yeah, yeah, they've they've got to be now. Um, yeah. Which is pure speculation. I think it's worth noting that this is not financial advice. That is, Ripple fans would be clawing at the door, try you know <laughs> yeah. just to get yeah. us to say this again. The the price did pump five percent the day this news came out in a pretty flat market. So that's probably what other people are thinking as well. Yeah. So should we move on to crypto of the week? I think we need to. All right. Um, What's up next? So we pick our crypto of the week every week by using a random number generator, and then we then correspond that number to a coin. And this week it is Saya. Uh, Or well, last week we picked Saya, and so that is our crypto of the week this week. So let's get into it, I guess. So I think before we get into it, if it's okay, I think we need to just take a knee for everyone listening and um, give a disclaimer. As As a law firm, Three of the four people uh, on this podcast have gone to law school. And Sevi, I'm not trying to cut you out of this deal. Um, <laughs> Fine by me, man. <laughs> you know, you have significantly fewer student loans than we do. That's right. Um, so I'm a little jealous. But um, we are a law firm, and we are a cryptocurrency-oriented law firm in many ways. We have a, a whole department dedicated to representing high net worth cryptocurrency investors and holders, as well as cryptocurrency businesses. And before we get into speaking about SciaCoin, we need to make sure that we have disclosed that we are currently representing and um, working with a company that is looking to fork uh, off SciaCoin. 
So I think uh, that it's important that we're going to try to keep this as objective as possible, that we're going to try and discuss what's going on with SIA post-October 31st, and we're going to try and focus on what Nebulous is doing right now as we don't want to disclose or discuss things that relate to clients that we're currently representing without their blessing and consent. Everyone on board with that? Excellent disclosure there, I think, my man. Yeah. So let's start with a brief history of SIA. Hit us with it. Super quick, 2014... David Vork, Luke Champagne. Champagne, I Am think I, is how you pronounce that. Champagne. They came up with this idea. Simple decentralized storage, storage on the blockchain using, you know, kind of like P2P methods, essentially. Um, yeah, so on this platform, you have hosts and you have renters. As a renter, you're looking for storage space to host your files. Those would then get broken up, split into a whole bunch of little pieces, encrypted, and then sent out to multiple, I think they usually recommend dozens, um, if not close to 100 of uh, different hosts to store your content. Because if one of them goes down, obviously you want to have have backups there. Um, so the, the storage itself doesn't, it's not stored on the blockchain, but the records of the transactions uh, and that sort of thing are, are on the blockchain. Uh, so yeah, this has been going for a couple years now. Uh, last I looked, there wasn't a huge utilization of this uh, as a hosting platform. They have, I believe, several hundred uh, different hosts and uh, and users uh, utilizing this network for storage. But it's still in somewhat of a speculative phase. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. You know, the, the Nebulous, the parent company of SciCoin, have have done a good job developing and and growing their community. Um, however, I think it's worth noting that they will be conducting a hard fork on October 31st. Yeah, so that kind of traces back to their ASICs. So what happened was the idea for ASICs got began getting floated around, you know, using ASICs to mine with. And at that point, Nebulous decided that they were going to create their own startup, Obelisk, to create miners. Yeah, um, and they first floated this idea, I believe, in June 2017. Yeah, uh, that's a, and, that sounds uh, about and they, right. And they raised funds through a community crowdfunded project, right? Yeah. So they're going to use community yeah. funds to pre-sell these obelisk miners. Yeah, to like a, like a Kickstarter. Them. Yeah, essentially. And unbeknownst to the people over at Nebulous and over Obelisk, Bitmain and NF Silicon, you know, over in China, were also actively developing ASICs for this, for site, to specifically for the Blake to be algorithm, is that correct? Yeah. yeah, and the interesting thing about that is Psy is really the only, well, as of now or a month ago, really the only major coin on this algorithm. Um, you have a bunch of coins on Equihash and ETHash and a bunch of these other algorithms, but Psy was really the only one uh, on this algorithm that was actually worth a decent amount of money. So yeah, it's, it's kind of unique in the ASIC space uh, in that developing an ASIC for this algorithm meant you were really developing it just for SIA. Yeah. So what's what's unique about this situation is that October 1st, David Vorick announced that they would be forking on October 31st, 2018 to effectively brick all non-obelisk miners so that their community crowdfunded obelisk miner could really be the only ASIC mining on their network. Yeah, well, those problems arose because Obelisk just started as a new, I mean, as a new company. They didn't know anything about the research and development of ASICs. They, they didn't have any programs. Or as organized as weren't as organized as Bitman and Silicon. Yeah. So they were supposed to deliver earlier this year. And this, this had some major this, delays. This fork had been talked about in January of this year, but there was enough community outcry that 
they decided against it. That was back in January. And then yeah. with the delays in Obelisk, you had they just like they just got delivered, and then now we have this this recent announcement, like you said, on October first, that they're going to essentially fork the coin to where it only runs on the Obelisk miners, and the InnoSilicon and Bitmain ones will pretty much be bricked. Yeah, I think so. This is where we need to be a little careful with what we discuss because there has been some desire in in the crypto community to fork the original Sire chain to make sure there's no discrimination based on what ASIC you own. Preserve the Sire chain. And and so I think it's probably a good idea for us to tiptoe away from this for a moment, but this development of this ASIC has produced major what what appears to be major concerns for the Nebulous team because the the community seems to be kind of shredding itself apart over this ASIC discrimination. But at the same time, I think it's worth noting that Sia is a pretty decent project. I mean, what they've done so far is definitely, definitely, I think, a wave of of um, the future. If they can manage to bring to market production-ready um, CDN platform for warm storage, they could really post a challenge to AWS, Google, Azure. Is that how you pronounce it? Azure. Azure, yeah. yeah. I've heard it both ways again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a, 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 an interesting project. There's definitely some components about this decision to fork that leave a lot of people scratching, including me, scratching their heads, wondering why the heck you would choose to effectively eliminate close to 80 or 90% of your hash rate to protect your own mining company. But, you know, we don't want to get too much into the finger pointing, but it just doesn't, I can't make any sense of this decision. Yeah, I I mean, I assume they they ran their tests before making this decision and announcement. We still don't know exactly what's going to happen when it forks and all of these uh, miners get kicked off. Uh, it could have a major effect on the network and uh, the reliability of the hosting. We just don't know. Um, so I think your point, just what you said, was kind of interesting. You said they've definitely done some testing and thinking about it, but I, I can almost dismiss that concept out of hand very simply because what was announced was that they were going to be forking version 1.3.6, which was their hard fork on October 31st. And just two days ago, they announced 1.3.7 because they had not factored in the idea. If you go and look on GitLab or GitHub, you can see that they hadn't calculated in the math on the decrease, decreasing difficulty by the reduction of hash power and that they've had to update to 1.3.7 because they hadn't planned what the reduction in hash rate would mean for block time. Yeah, I I didn't uh, read too much into the the difficulty problem. My impression was that it was it was not related to the huge reduction from the fork uh, itself, but just a general bug in calculating difficulty and updating that block to block. Maybe it was related to that. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, no matter how much testing you you do, bugs are going to get through. Sure. Um, so yeah, they're now on 1.3.7. Uh, still planning to fork at block height 179,000 I think. Something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, which will happen October 31st. So yeah, they're they're still moving forward. So today is October 25th. It's Thursday. So in less than a week we'll see. We'll have an idea of Absolutely. what what what's and going on. This is going to be an exciting time for the overall SIA community as they start looking at what they're going to support and wh- who they're going to be supporting. Nebulous is going to have a hard time in my opinion um, looking their community in the eye and maintaining this position that they are a truly decentralized platform. 
especially considering that David Vorick, who is the founder of uh, of Nebulous, this morning posted a a Medium article talking about Bitcoin Classic. I want to interrupt you right there because this was actually posted in 2016. Was it? Yes. Okay. But the ideas still ring true. So this was posted in 2016. <laughs> uh, I, I, I got sent to me this morning, and I guess I should, you should look fire your researcher. Yeah, well, <laughs> tell me about it. Isn't that you? Uh, no, no. no, that's um, you. Fire yourself. So uh, you're fired. Um, <laughs> Just looking at what was written in this article, David Vorick is conducting a contentious hard fork of his Sire platform on October 31st, and he literally writes in 2016, and it's amazing to me how times have changed for him, but, quote, a contentious hard fork is tyranny of the majority. I don't want to participate in a system where two wolves and a sheep are voting on what to have for dinner, especially when I'm the sheep. I mean, it just goes on to say any contentious hard fork is a huge red flag, blah, 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 blah. It's evidence that the system's not working. It, it blows my mind that you can go from 2016 writing this to conducting probably the most contentious hard fork of our time. I'm not trying to compare Mr. Vorick to one President Trump. But, but you got them <laughs> Obama-Trump voters. <laughs> well, uh, I was just going to say that uh, I've heard this uh, all over like the news. There's always a Donald Trump tweet for absolutely everything he says where he's contradicted himself in a tweet from like three years ago yeah um so i I just and if the american public has made anything clear we don't care (laughs) (laughs) well you know that there's a significant distinction between the american public and the crypto community we love to have witch hunts in fact (laughs) our community is built on witch hunts um look what happened when people started uh trying to convince people about bitconnect right bring this thing full circle people went full-blown savage getting to the bottom of who these promoters are. The people that got doxxed as a result of of BitConnect, as a result of people getting up in arms over what they were doing. All of that to say... I should leave my hat and broom at home. Yeah, well, <laughs> if it's crypto, well, meet up, we, bring your hat and broom. Hat and broom included. Um, batteries not. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good opportunity for us to to say, look, I'm excited to talk about this next week once yes. this fork has happened and to give us a real uh, close look at how the community reacts and where that hash power starts getting pointed to. Yeah. Yep. So What's going to be our uh, crypto of the week next well, week? Well, let's Sammy. get a verdict from you before we go to crypto of the week. What do you think, Laura Beth? I don't know. I, re- I mean, I really don't. I really Not don't. Not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, right. I think for now, but let's wait until next week, and then we can brutalize it with that 10-foot pole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that may need to get cut. <laughs> okay, so crypto of, the, crypto of the week. All right, I've got my random number generator up here, and it has spun out a 13, uh, which on CoinMarketCap, as of right now, is Dash. Oh, yeah, that we should be have, good. Yeah, we've talked uh, a, a little, little bit, bit about, about them Dash. In the Venezuelan communities. Mm-hmm. Should be a good yeah. uh, good chat. A lot of stuff going on in the Dash community. Um, with that yeah. being said, pretty pumped up. Let's uh, let's try to keep it positive. Positive engaged for that Dash chat. Uh, I think we've got some Dash fans in the house as well, and uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see who that is for next week. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, this is a good time for us to uh, segue into my favorite segment. That's Ben's subtle wink. Of the week. This week's wink goes out to all you crypto sellouts whose greed as a, acts as a detriment to the community, collectively worse than a coil of rattlesnakes, and providing poisonous advice. This week's wink goes out to you, Mr. Cryptocurrency Sellout Man. <laughs> you, Mr. Cryptocurrency Sellout Man, teller of tall tales, shiller of shitcoins, 
You've worked extremely hard to make adoption by the public at large so much harder. With your supreme emphasis on making a buck, you've single-handedly created unnecessary public distrust in the cryptosphere. Hats off to you, Mr. Cryptocurrency Sellout Man. Ben, I think this is the best subtle wink of the week that we've ever had. Not very subtle. This is a massive shout out (laughs) to the people at BitConnect who have literally taken money out of people's pockets, the clothes of other people's backs, and created significant distrust in in the cryptocurrency community. Not cool, bros. Not cool. Yeah, I I think... That's, See your ass in court. Yeah, that's the, the extreme capitalist <laughs> capitalistic model there is, you know, if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, oh, yeah, I'm making money, but at what cost? Yeah. And that's the ultimate question. It has definitely been some harm to the community, and uh, it's going to cost them a pretty penny to defend this thing. I just hope they stole enough money. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, that's where this is at. I mean, these are... Would these they are some, have all those assets frozen already? I would hope so. Mm, I hope they overseas. For their sake. One <laughs> guy, one of the leaders, not the top guy, but like second level was arrested. You mean arrested. like a pyramid? Yes. <laughs> Wait, there's there's one guy and there's two under him, right? Yeah, right, yeah. He has two friends. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, no, he was uh, actually arrested in India. Uh, Yikes. A week or two ago. Um, yeah. And yes. that's during a period of time where India had a ban on cryptocurrencies. So you know he's got a, he's getting a I doubt he, I double doubt, wink here. He probably wasn't holding any rupees either. <laughs> he probably isn't holding anything. He's probably lost his hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad that you went with that prison joke instead of the prison joke of what I was going to suggest. Uh, because we're in a safe space now. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. It's been awesome. I really hope you've enjoyed the show. Yeah, let's wrap this thing up, guys. If you want to reach out to us at initiallegal at twitter.com. Let us know your thoughts, comments, suggestions on anything you want us to talk about. Just hit us up there. Tune in next week when we talk about Dash. See you next time.